0: How do
1: we start this? Uh, I don't know. How do people normally start this? I don't know. Welcome to my podcast. Okay, well, let's try that. Welcome to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Do you think you should redo this or?
2: (laughs) No, I think it's
0: good. Okay. All right. (laughs)
1: Good morning everyone. Welcome back to another Monday. Thank you all for joining us yet again. Taylor and I really do applaud everyone's like coming back every few weeks. It's it really genuinely blows our minds. Like I don't know. Like we don't even I don't even know. Like, Taylor, I what how how are we how do people listen? Like I've got messages from people saying they enjoy it. I mean, are you paying them on the side
0: and you just haven't told me? Like what do you what are we what is
1: happening here? <laughs>
0: I wish I had that amount of money, but I'm just glad that there's somebody out there that likes listening to my voice just as much as I like listening to my own voice too. So
1: Okay, well, that may have gone a little far. It's probably Kyle on the other end that's sending all of these anonymous messages of congratulatory things. But yeah, either way, that was a really long way of saying we really appreciate that people keep listening and and we keep getting all the really good feedback. And uh, yeah, we just really appreciate everyone's time honestly I think it's bizarre but I think it's really really cool to be able to kind of feels like meet people this way even though you're not meeting people I don't know but in truly in real life Taylor and I are exactly like this so you are actually meeting us so good for you so as per usual we've had a random babble about nothing but it is all to lead up to if you would like to leave us a review please do so on apple Podcasts or spotify we really appreciate it obviously only nice things please and uh yeah with that we will get on with today's show so today's episode we are going to be talking about rescue and the controversial topic of balance training and how that plays into rescue and some of the miscommunications and misunderstandings associated with the pairings of those two and how I think there's just like not enough communication there and as our guest today we have someone that I have recently quote-unquote met Um, her name is Hannah Swain and she runs a rescue on the coast of BC and uh yeah we are super excited to chat with you so hi Hannah. Hi it's uh so
2: nice to be here I'm honored.
1: See, there's that word again. Honored. Like, what the hell? (laughs) Like, what is going on in the universe? But yeah, we genuinely are honored that you came on to chat with us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, your rescue?
2: Give us the details. So, I'm Hannah. Monday to Friday, I won't lie, I'm like a very boring human being. Um, I... Run the accounting department of an engineering firm. It, it has nothing to do with dogs, but it pays my mortgage. And in my spare time, that's where the passion comes in, and that's where myself and my dear friend Zoe, we run West Coast Paws Dog Rescue. And then on the weekends, I run Unleashed Dog Training, where I'm doing dog training for people in the Lower Mainland. Okay, well you're
0: fucking busy. Um.
2: (laughs) yeah, I will say I don't have a ton of spare time.
0: (laughs) I was just going to say, like, do you sleep at all? Or like, are you just constantly just going?
2: Well, I won't lie. I, I came out of the gates running real quick at the very beginning. And I was, you know, offering to train in the evenings and offering to train on both days of the weekend. And when you work seven days in a row, constantly, you do burnout, so I have made smarter adult choices now, and I'm trying to only do one day a week of training, which is hard because I want to do more. it's what I actually really love to do, but it's you know we'll get there eventually, but for now, for now this is this is the balance that I gotta keep that's
1: so cool, so do you think that training is where you're going is that something that you're trying to slide into more full-time and or rescue it sounds like yeah as taylor said like you have like three jobs like that's crazy but is a plan to transition to one slash two
2: Well, I really hope my boss doesn't listen to Bad Dog Mom's podcast, but yes, eventually I would like to at least do both part-time. Like I I do really enjoy my job on a day-to-day. So if you're listening, I like my job, (laughs) but it would be really, really great if I could do my real job part-time and then actually be able to have training be another part of that that is part-time as well.
0: So you mentioned that you run a rescue, and I'm just curious as to, like, how you got started in all of that. You say it's a passion, which I love that. But usually when you talk to rescue organizations, like, funding is really hard, it's more stressful, there's a lot of things going on. is there something that really, really drove you into this direction and something that, like, maybe your own rescue
2: that sparked the joy of rescue it was kind of a twofold thing. I happened to move out of my parents' house, I guess, back in 2018. And they had a dog at the time who I thought was my dog. But anyways, when I moved out, they were like, ah, we're keeping the dog. So, um, which is fair. She was their dog. But so I was super dog lonely. And I just ended up looking for any way that I could help out with dogs. So I ended up starting volunteering with a dog rescue, which is where I ended up meeting my co-founding partner. She was the president. I was the vice president over a couple of years. We worked our ways up to there. And then, I mean, I can go into the details of this more for sure, but we just decided that after I think probably four or three years with that agency or that rescue, we decided to start our own. We just had different ideas and just different goals, I guess. So we decided to do that. But the biggest kind of driving factor behind all things rescue and in terms of training in general is my own dog, Kona. She is originally from Korea and she is just the love of my life, but also so a lot of work and has come a very long way, which I always remind myself and try to remember, but an ongoing kind of make work project. And she's just kind of opened my eyes to the need for rescue in general, the need for patients, the need for post-adoption support, because when I did adopt her, there was none of that. So it was kind of just figure it out and good luck. And that's why she had been rehomed multiple times. And so we just want to do things differently with our rescue, I think is the biggest thing. And I'm not sure what the original question was there. And I think I just went on a tangent, but... (laughs) Talking about your own dog is definitely never a tangent here. Always
1: welcome, regardless of whatever Taylor and I say at any time. I do want to follow up on a point, though, um, because it's actually one of the reasons that Taylor and I really wanted to have you on the show, was that you said that when you rescued your dog that you didn't find there was a lot of support from the rescue, and that that made the transition into your life with corona much more difficult than maybe it needed to be. So what were some of the things that, and obviously without like pointing fingers or any of those things, um, what are some of the trends that you have noticed working in rescue that you felt passionate to maybe make a change in?
2: Well, I will say that that was the biggest reason in general that we left the previous organization we were working with and started our own was we felt like the mass amount of numbers was great in in itself of a lot of dogs were coming to their forever homes here and a lot of dogs were being rescued however it was kind of like as soon as the dog came and was on Canadian soil you were a little bit shit out of luck like you didn't not to say that there was nothing but there was certainly not what the caliber that we would like to provide to our adopters so because obviously rescue dogs come in they have Reactivity or anxiety, or just behaviors that they didn't exhibit when they were in their country of origin. And then we do our very best to prepare adopters to make them aware of the fact that this is going to be a difficult process, regardless of how your dog acts. Most of our dogs come from Mexico, so regardless of how your dog acts in Mexico the journey affects every dog differently. Your dog could not be reactive there. And then they come to Canada and all of a sudden they're reactive. What are you going to do? Like we really drive home that there's going to be a lot of resiliency and patience required because that's really just the the truth about it. It's not easy. Sometimes there are the unicorn dogs that they arrive and they're like, I've lived here my whole life. Everything is great. But unfortunately that's not always the case. So, But what we wanted to be able to do was provide actual – training for our adopters. And we wanted it to not be a financial barrier because training can be so expensive. So what my co-founding partner and I wanted to do was provide reduced cost training. One session with myself is at half price, which is, and my rates are not super high anyway. So it makes it very affordable for an adopter to get the support that they need. But in addition to that, we really strive to make sure that we're available for Endless emails, endless FaceTime, endless WhatsApp group chats. You know, I think I probably have 55 group chats on the go right now. <laughs> and just because people need someone to talk to, they need someone to be like, is this normal? And I think being in that position myself and not having somebody to ask, like, is this normal? What do I do? You know, we want to give our adopters that opportunity and we want to. We want to just be there for non judgmental support, too. I think that's our biggest thing is there's so much just judgment in this world of dog rescue, dog training, and it just grinds my gears. You know we try to be very understanding of people's emotions when the dog arrives. We try to work with whatever comes up because at the end of the day. Our knowledge of a dog is strictly what is in their bio and what is given to us from the rescuer in Mexico or wherever they've come from. And we have fantastic partnerships, um, and we really genuinely believe that the information that is provided is accurate. But again, Eight hours in a crate on an airplane can do something to a dog, right? And the beautiful part is that they all come around, they always do. And so I think that's where the post adoption support really comes in, where we're just like, hey, we've had 55 other dogs that have arrived and they've all, one way or the other, gone through something very similar and they're great. Like, here, look at this video of. This dog who couldn't walk down the street three months ago and now they're playing with dog friends, you know, and just kind of putting things into perspective because it does feel really lonely sometimes. And I remember feeling the same of having a dog who had been rehomed, very little information I did get her during the pandemic too. So I think it was just a whole different world in terms of regulation of, you know, what needs to be provided for a dog and everything like that. You know, all the paperwork I have from her is in Korean and I do not speak Korean, so, nor do I read it. <laughs> so we just want to make sure that we're being supportive and non-judgmental for whatever comes up.
0: I think that that's so important, like post-adoption support. When I adopted Penny from the rescue, it was basically like, you have to get her spayed and then nothing else, And which is fine. Like I'm in a position where I can handle her and like take care of her needs and things like that. But being in boarding, I've had quite a few dogs that have been rescues and come to me for boarding, and they have reactivity issues and lack of recall, and the owners are clearly, clearly, clearly struggling, and there's just no help, no support know nothing and I have one conversation with them and it's like a real sigh of relief I'm here to help you I can help you and I just think that that's really important to have that support system like I make it very very clear for my board and train students even when they go home I send you a message 24 hours after your dog leaves one week after your dog leaves two weeks after your dog leaves then one month after your dog leaves like you're spending so much money you should feel supported, non-judged as well. I think that's really important to say and just have a safe place to come for your questions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And just in terms of beyond just the training aspect of our follow-up support, again, every time a dog comes in, we have a WhatsApp group chat just in general for like the dog arriving at the airport and making sure that you know, the person who has them as a flight volunteer clears customs and blah, blah, blah. So we're literally providing support before the dog even lands. But then we do really, really care about the follow-up. So we do a one-week follow-up. We do a four-week follow-up. All of our adoptions are foster to adopt anyway. So they're a four-week trial period. And we're happy to extend the trial for as long as needed before they decide to finalize, because sometimes it takes longer than four weeks. At the end of the day, like I would say like 75% of the time by four weeks, even if people are like, you know, there's some problems, but I'm absolutely smitten and this dog is not going anywhere. Like I would say that's the majority of the time what happens, but we've just heard of a lot of agencies as well that like, sorry, like no returns kind of thing. And that's terrifying, you know? And I think taking some of the pressure off by being like, you can extend as long as you need, if you're still struggling and you can't decide like that is okay, Because I think taking the pressure off makes it so that people aren't like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to get my adoption feedback if I don't decide by the four-week mark. But what if magic happens by week five? You know, like we want to give you the opportunity to wait for that to happen. You know, my own dog wouldn't really let anybody touch her for – like I don't think she let me rub her belly for – four months you know and she just she was slow she was really really slow to accept and even still that's probably one of the biggest things I work on with her and I'll pick your trainer brains about that later, but she still cannot be handled by anybody else. Really. She has a very select few people who she will allow to touch her, but we want to give the adopters the freedom and the space to take the time that it takes, you know, and to tell them that it's okay. You know, we do the whole three day, three week, three month adjustment period and really drive that home and say that, you know, Yes, this in theory is how long it takes for a dog to adjust, but your dog could be different, you know. And and just kind of being there for that. Absolutely agree, and I think that it's
1: um it's, you brought up a really good point about the three days, three weeks, and three months because I've heard that a few times, and it is it's a really good rule, and even as a base rule, people forget it. People are like, well, my dog is having these issues, these issues, these issues. But when I, and I ask, like, oh, like how long have you had the dog? Just that simple question. Oh, ten days. Yeah, that's not the dog that you're going to end up with. Like it's not the dog that you're going to get like a year from now you could not have the dog that you're going to end up with in 10 years. Like it really does vary dog to dog and I think that when you don't know the the story behind the dog and how they got there like you don't know like maybe that dog was beat by someone, maybe that dog was attacked by someone, you know, like there's meat market dogs, there's street dogs, there's literal cruelty cases it's there's so there's such a mixed bag and without knowing and seeing those things and especially like i want to bring up another point as well that with young dogs being adopted uh, we had a um a trainer on i think for for our very first episode lynn so lynn was talking about this thing called imprinting where it's like the first five months of a dog's life like from birth to being five months old so much of what the dog is like is affected in those first 5 months and when your first 5 months is this unpredictable roller coaster that has abuse and uh, or neglect or being outside or not ever being around humans or not ever being around dogs like that has such a big impact on a dog's life fully into the future and i think that not this is my problem with a lot of rescues is that like not having that support and that understanding and like that lack of judgment is so hard when you don't have any of these presets and this knowledge and then you're just given this dog and not everyone can afford to be a trainer. Most people are nine, you know, they work nine to five, they work a regular quote unquote job. And that doesn't mean they're not fit to have a dog, not at all, because otherwise no one would have dogs. But it's like, where do you find that support is so so crucial so when I found out that you truly are that I was like oh my god this is amazing like this is what it should be like this is I I, this is something I can fully support because I can stand behind it and be like yes this is how you do it this is what I personally would call
2: ethical rescue in my opinion well that means a lot first of all just for starters that's our our main goal going forward and just in terms of starting off our rescue in May of last year was We just wanted to do things differently. You know, we had a lot of things that we admired about the previous agency we were with, but we also had a lot of things that we wanted to do differently and that we wanted to try differently. So, so that means a lot, but touching on like the imprinting part of, we've also noticed that dogs that have flown between the ages of about six months to a year, their reactivity levels when they arrive are pretty well through the roof in terms of six to technically 14 months depends I guess who you ask but is is a, a fear period right and so if you put a dog in a crate and take them away from everything that they've known regardless of whether that was a shelter or not and then you put them on a plane and send them to a new place the adjustment period is so much more substantial than than you would think people are like oh it's a puppy they bounce right back and and they do eventually but these are the ones that you know we've done five, six training sessions with, and we've had to find a new home for once they're here because the first people weren't equipped. And so those are the things that we, especially over time, we've also learned too. So we're still willing to bring in dogs during those fear periods, but we are a lot more, we're very forthright with the adopters in saying, Hey, just so you know, I'm not sure if you were aware But, you know, between the age of six and 14 months is a really big fear period for dogs. So your dog might show up and be a little bit reactive. Your dog might nip. They might growl. They might go absolute Cujo at the end of the leash. You know, we don't know what to expect and we want to make sure that you're on board with that possibility. And some people say no. And we just say that's totally fine. You know, like this is why we're having this conversation with you now. This is why we're laying it out. The good, the bad and the ugly And if this doesn't feel like a fit for you, please tell us now. There is literally no judgment. You have not wasted our time. Just tell us up front. And we're just, there's no sugarcoating it. I think that's really what we've learned over time is the real challenge is not necessarily finding the person to apply for the dog. It's finding the person that's going to stick with the dog when it gets hard, right? As soon as the dog arrives, it's not over, right? You don't just get to wash your hands of it.
0: I do think that that's really important to have those hard conversations with potential adopters and let them know, like, this is what could happen, there's a possibility of this, and just being extremely honest about what what could happen is really important. I do know that there are a few rescues out there that just want to place dogs and get them out of their care. Do you think that all dogs, I guess, should be placed in a
1: home just for the fact of being placed in a home. Because I know that like with the with the specific case that Taylor is talking about, it's one of those things where it's like if it found the right home, that would have been the best possible setup. But finding that right home may not have been in the cards necessarily, or it would have had to have had a lot more effort put into it, which the rescue may or may not be. Willing to do or have the time to do, which again, rescues are busy, organizations super busy, totally understand. But it just brings the question up. It's like, do
2: you think that all dogs should be, could be rescued? I think it's a really good question. It's not an easy question. And this question in itself has led to some tough choices, to be honest. Some dogs, and we're very honest with our rescuers in Mexico and we have some in Manitoba. Some dogs, based on what they tell us, you know, this dog has a bite history or this dog needs a yard and needs space to run. This dog is not going to thrive in an apartment. And we're always honest. We're always like, yep, 100%. We will post this dog and we will do our very best to find a home, but we will not sacrifice the quality of the home. That's not in the cards for us. There have been a few really hard situations where we've had a dog that's been posted for six to eight months with no interest. And then you get one application and it's not good. You know, you, you give it your best shot. You do the phone interview, you really feel it out and you hope for the best, but we're still not going to call. Like we're not, we're not going to make that call. If it's not a good fit, it's not worth crossing your fingers and hoping that it works out because we've seen that end really badly. And I think a lot of perhaps rescues in general, rescue agencies rather don't necessarily look at breed. And that's tough because we don't often know a breed, but I mean, I can look at a dog and be like, that's probably part pity. And I can look at my dog from a mile away and be like, she's got border collie in her. And, you know, you have to kind of make a smart and educated choice, you know, that's not to say I will, (laughs) I will say I live in an apartment with a border collie. And I just do a lot of walking. Yes, she absolutely would be happier on a farm. But that's, I guess, where the line is a little bit gray in terms of if we have an adopter for a dog that everything is ticked off the you know to-do list and everything is great except for the house we're not going to discriminate based on that just in general. That one thing alone is not enough for us to be like, okay, it's a no, sorry. Because also that would really cross out 99% of the lower mainland population because who is able to afford a home in (laughs) Vancouver? So we definitely don't discriminate based on that in general, but we do really, really, really believe in feeding the breed need. Making sure that your dog gets daily enrichment making sure that your dog gets plenty of stimulation and but not too much and you know just finding this perfect balance but long story short to answer your question sometimes there are dogs that we're not able to place and we're not going to we're not going to sacrifice the dog for our own statistic. We're not going to be like, we want to clear these dogs out. We want to get them off our website. We want to turn all these dogs around in three to six months. That's not, that's not the goal. That's not the statistic. We want to make sure that we wait and find the right home. And the, the right home quite often usually does come up. Sometimes the rescuer will be like, Hey, we haven't had any traction on Max for 6 months is it okay if we post him with another agency Absolutely we are always okay with that like if you want to cross post and as long as you're saying that this dog is also posted with another agency and then you tell us we're all for that we just want to find the best home for the dog so there are some rescues that can be a little bit territorial of like you can only post a dog with me and you can't post it anywhere else and we're a little bit more loosey-goosey with that in terms of really our goal is just to find the right home for the right dog Haha. <laughs> Taylor and I both rolled our eyes
1: at that last point and I know exactly what she's thinking. It's that that whole don't share clients thing is possibly <laughs> it's possibly the most annoying thing. It's like top 3, I think we can all agree. It's like top 3 most annoying things that exist in the world and it happens with trainers all the time like the amount of stories where it's like you train with this like you train with me you don't train with anyone else and i've had it where clients come i had this situation the other day as well like i told taylor about it where a client like she i've been doing multiple sessions with her we have a friendship it's all really good i love her and she was like oh i i have plans oh, just so you know like i don't want to step on your toes but i might do a class with this other trainer and like but don't worry you're my favorite like it's okay and i won't if you don't want me to and i'm like oh my god i don't care Go! I'll go with you. Like, (laughs) I'll go with you to the class. I want to learn too. I am not. It. I am not going to be like. Well, blah 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 blah. I'm like, no. Honestly, you could go to five different trainers, and (laughs) take one thing from each of us. And if you have a better dog and a better situation at the end of the day, that is all I fucking care about. Like, I genuinely don't need you to just stick with me. And yeah, I mean, it's 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 nice when people are loyal to you, but it's not what it's about at the end of the day. And I just, I just wish people would understand that more. So yes, I applaud that and I agree,
2: basically. <laughs> I 100% agree. And I just think in general, like, can you imagine saying like, no, you can only watch this person's YouTube videos. Like how much have I learned from 46 different trainers? because every dog is not the same. Every journey is not the same. Some of the stuff that I have tried with my dog has been such a swing and a miss, but then I'll suggest it to a client and they're like, this changed my life. Right. So it's, it's different from every dog is different. And so we just have to, I think there's this territorialism that is just not right. Like if you, especially if you want to be a balanced dog trainer, be balanced, you know, go and try all of these different things and find what works for you and find what works for your dog.
0: You make a really good point. When I first got Atlas, he's my youngest. He's my one-year-old, one and two months golden retriever. I kind of grew up in this career with More so keeler methods, suppression training, that sort of thing. And I knew that I wanted to do things differently with Atlas. And I wanted him to want to engage with me. And if you know anything about fucking golden retrievers, dude, they like everybody else but you. Handler focus, right out the window. And I was like, nope, I'm going to change your DNA instincts. I'm going to do it. (laughs) And I did it. I fucking did it. He is so focused on me now. He does not watch where he's walking. That's how focused on me he is. He will run into things. And I did that by reaching out to a pure positive trainer, working on sports, building a relationship with him, treat rewards, doing a clicker, walking him on a back harness. Yeah, he's e-collar trained and prong collar trained for sure. hundred percent. But 95% of the time he is a pure positive dog. And... That's from putting each hand in every single fucking cookie jar that I could possibly find and just throwing them all at him and him finding each one in the yard eventually, if that makes any sense at all. And I love that. Like even my very first dog that I got from a rescue, I worked with five different trainers. I pulled information from those five different trainers and found something that worked for me. Thankfully, he was super reactive and he drove me to where I am today. But if it
2: weren't for his reactivity, I don't know where I would be. So very thankful for him. I think I can even attest to that in terms of becoming the dog trainer that I have become. I shadowed multiple different trainers. And the very first person that I shadowed was like, you have to treat this as like trail mix. You know, take the things you like, leave the things you don't expand your knowledge as much as humanly possible, take as many courses as you can, follow as many people as you can, watch as many videos as you can, and then become the trainer that you want to become out of all of that. And so I did a canine coaching diploma program and it was purely positive. And I learned a lot of really great stuff. I learned a lot about body language and genetics and canine learning theory But then I also saw a bunch of holes, right? Holes in the training beyond just general obedience. And that's where you fill that hole with other pieces and find what is going to work for you. I totally agree, Taylor. Like I would say for the most part, I'm like 90 to 95% positive. And I think that's the biggest... Stigma around this is that people think like they hear balanced and they panic and they're like, oh my God, you abuse dogs. And that's not what this freaking means. You know, it's not at all what that means. And that's so incredibly frustrating because as a balanced dog trainer, just like you, Taylor, I would do the exact same thing. I would take a course with a purely positive. I would learn from that, but would they do the same to me? Probably not. And, and that part is very frustrating because I think we all can learn from each other. We all can apply things in a different way. And I just think a lot of dogs and owners are missing out on sky is the limit potential because of that like corner that people back themselves into, you know?
0: I just have to say something really quick before we run into like a whole tangent and get off like the whole rescue um, choo-choo train. I have a lovely, lovely, lovely business office manager. Her name is Terry Lynn. Shout out Terry Lynn. Couldn't live life without you. She said something to me and it has stuck with me ever since she said it. She said, Taylor, you're not a balance trainer. You're a fluid trainer. And the reason why you're a fluid trainer is because – you don't do the suppression training. You don't use the tools in the quote-unquote balanced way. You don't use a bonker. You don't do all of the typical quote-unquote balanced training things that people like to fixate and focus on, which is like a rough correction on a prong collar or things like that. You are fluid because you add clickers you add food you add harnesses you add all of these different things and skill sets but then you overlay with tools you add all of these presets and then to form all of those presets and solidify them you use the tools and by the time you add the tools you don't even really need them so from now on we are no longer balanced trainers we are fluid trainers
1: I love that term, actually. That's really cool. But I did just want to add on to that as well. It's like something that I say to my clients when people are, because a lot of times people will come to me and they've tried positive only and they're like, look, I'm just hitting a wall either overall or with this one specific thing. Like, what do you recommend? Or they'll ask me, what do you think about eco or sorry, shock collars is the question. What do you think about like yeah, like terrible, like you know, like prong, like prong callers, and like what do you th- like? You know, and they always ask me very hesitantly, like, you know, what what do you think, you know, about this? And and like, oh god, like I'm really nervous. Like, give me some insight. And I always explain it to them like it's an insurance policy. Like I don't teach behaviors and i don't form behaviors strictly on tools you teach the behavior and you form the trust and you build the relationship and then as your insurance policy let's use e collars and recall for example like your dog can be off leash and your dog can be running around and you can teach a rock solid recall without an e collar yeah sure but is that going to be rock solid if your dog sees a deer across the highway or if it sees i don't know whatever it could be whatever it triggers your dog in that moment No, because a dog is an animal. So that's when you'd bring in the insurance policy. You're going to layer that with an e-collar so that you know that you can get your dog back regardless. And I don't think personally a dog can be 100% reliable off-leash without an e-collar. And like come for me for saying that, but it's true. Like you cannot guarantee that your cookies in a high drive dog overstimulated or in an over arousal state is going to mean jack shit. And that's not a hit against positive only. Like I said, I teach recall positive only. But it is just something that I, that's how I state it, is, is, an, is an insurance policy. I think that, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I wouldn't have my dogs off leash with that one.
0: <laughs> okay. I just thought of the funniest thing. But it might just be funny if to me. It's the whole me. bee smelling like cheese again. <laughs> it's not funny. A- <laughs> <laughs> no. No, no, no. So. A rock solid recall. So the pure positive way that we can teach a rock solid recall from now on is if your dog sees a deer or something on the other side of the highway is you pull a bunny out of your pocket. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry. I just pictured you pulling a bunny out of your pocket for some a weird bunny? reason while you're talking about rock solid. <laughs> like,
1: like a rabbit? Like like a full grown like, live animal yeah. out of my pocket, you in my pocket. <laughs> my <pockets. laughs> Like, it's just like I have a fanny pack instead of treats. I just have live rodents.
2: (laughs) I do. You have to win that marketing scheme, so you gotta have something live. Just hold
0: it in the air and it'll start squirming and screaming. Your dog will come running back. uh,
1: I'll try that. I'll post a reel. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody stay tuned. <laughs> I'm not trying to imagine who, what dog I'm going to test this on that wouldn't get so confused. <laughs> like, be like, the fuck are you doing with that rabbit? <laughs> but I mean, you know, again, with the mind of being open, sure,
0: Taylor, <laughs> it sounds like it could work. <laughs> okay, we've lost Taylor a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes I just think I'm really funny, but I fully pictured it, fully pictured it as you were talking about it. Just you know, like a rabbit out of a hat. Like, oh, yeah. The that's the pure positive way to get your dog back. Maybe not so pure positive for the rabbit. <laughs> not for the poor rabbit. <laughs> okay, I feel like we have to get back. <laughs> we have to get back on track.
1: <laughs> Please don't try this at home, people. <laughs> Seek a professional trainer. (laughs) Don't just grab a rabbit.
0: Yeah, rabbit rabbit trainer. trainer.
1: Stop. (laughs) Unsolicited advice. (laughs) So we've talked a little bit about balance training when it comes to rescue and the kind of the support roles that rescues can play in that process, which we are all just totally on board with, and I think that's really, really awesome. I do have a question. Um, I used to work in – well, Taylor and I have both worked – fostering before and we've gotten this question a lot is how do you not keep them all I guess my follow-up question is to that to you is just to bounce that right on over and how do you not keep them all is that something that you struggle with or are there some dogs where you're like wow this is cute but really not for me
2: I think probably the saving grace is that we don't bring dogs here until they have an adopter waiting for them. So we don't have dogs in foster care here for the most part. We do have one right now who I swear if I did not live in 650 square feet with a very antisocial border collie, I would be all over that and I would want her to be mine. So for the most part it's just very good that they don't come until they have an adopter because then when I do the training sessions and I get to meet the dog, then I'm always kind of like, Oh my gosh, I love that dog and I would totally have that dog, but the dog's already taken. So it's not an it's not a possibility for me to keep the dog. I won't lie though, I have definitely fallen in love with many a dog over the years, just in terms of posting them, writing their bios, seeing their videos, because we require really detailed information for our bios. We require a lot of videos before we'll post them. They need to be shown interacting with a human. They need to be shown interacting with dogs. If we're going to claim that a dog is kid or cat tested, we have to have a video proving it. And so each little video that they give you just kind of tugs at your heartstrings and especially some of the terrible stories of abuse and neglect and dogs being strays and those just in general can just kind of rip your heart out and you just want to give every single one of them a home but it's a really good consolation though knowing that they come here and and that they do have homes waiting for them and the I guess selfish aspect of doing all of our follow-up support is that we get to see lots of videos and lots of photos and get to see them truly flourish in their in their homes and that's probably the the very best reward of all So I guess the short answer is
1: don't do it. Don't keep them in your home if you don't want to Definitely, yeah.
2: Just don't let them into your house. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's good advice, honestly. I mean, when you said you
1: worked in rescue, I was like, a lot of people who I know work in rescue have like five or six dogs, or if they're in cats, 16 or 17 cats. And you were like, no, I have one dog. And I'm like,
2: wow, that's impressive. (laughs) Like, wow. (laughs) I would definitely have more, I think. Kona's my first baby angel and she does not wish to have siblings because she's dog reactive and kind of just in general an asshole. So she definitely is not the one that's going to want lots of fur siblings. So except cats, she actually seems to be fine with cats, which is interesting and I would not have expected it, nor did I need it because I don't have cats, but that's fine.
0: Dang, I was going to say I'd love to foster for you, but if you don't have any dogs that are here, then maybe I'm better off not fostering, though, because I have apparently two foster fails if you include Atlas, so.
2: Well, we will bring them in if we have fosters. We just never have fosters available, so now I'll hit you up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I could help in September because I'm too crazy for the, Um, the summertime, but definitely I'd be happy to help.
2: That's really great to know. Thank you so much. We also, it's nice to have people kind of in our back pocket for those rare scenarios where sometimes people just suck. And, you know, we have had a few returns after three days where people are like, nope, it's not a good fit. Get the dog gone. And that's when you really urgently need fosters. So that's really good to know. (laughs)
0: I am on Vancouver Island, so Victoria, so not, I think you're Vancouver, you said, so not very far away.
2: Yeah, not not far at all. I will take a dog on the ferry for you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of clients that come over from Vancouver, actually, to board with me, so you could probably just hitch a ride with one of them. (laughs) It's a great plan. (laughs) That's actually how I met Hannah originally,
1: was because I currently have a I guess we can call her a foster, a foster dog from her rescue. And yeah, she's really sweet. She's doing so well. And like you saying that stuff about the videos and like, okay, I got to get that. And I got to get that and I got to get that. Like making content is is really hard. Like it's not like going to war hard, but it's like, oh my God, if something is, if I'm going to forget something, it's making content. But I, I I will do it. There's actually some really, really cute photos, fo- like photos, yeah, cute photos and cute videos. And I have the cat one already. The people one, she still hates everybody but me and Kyle. <laughs> so we'll, we'll work on that. That definitely, like, that whole experience of working with you and, and having her currently is just, yeah, like, you definitely, everything that you're saying is 100% true. And, like, the support is super amazing. And, uh yeah, I just love working with you. So would do again. Would recommend.
2: <laughs> well, I love that. And definitely appreciate that. Florence, you've been so incredibly understanding and just a really great resource and and everything so we are incredibly appreciative to you because we don't know anybody in armstrong (laughs) nobody does i don't even know anybody
1: in armstrong to be honest with you (laughs) that's why i still have taylor as a friend clearly i have to go
0: far and wide to search (laughs) rude that's it this is our last podcast see you later kind
1: regards bad dog moms (laughs)
0: So we've talked a little bit about balance, how you do balance training and you offer training for your adoptees and your passion with rescue. How do you find collaborating both of them together? Do you find that you get a good amount of feedback? Do you find that your adoptees appreciate the fact that they can also rely on you for training advice and things like that? Like, Tell us a little bit about that. Honestly,
2: it's been a pretty smooth transition. We've really heard nothing but good feedback in terms of people don't really have to go looking for a trainer because there's one literally right in front of them. But that's also not to say like we do have dogs who have gone to homes in the interior and on Vancouver Island. And we do have some in Washington. So those ones were very upfront about the fact that while we can provide virtual support, we won't be able to do in-person support. In terms of training, we do have a few connections. We have one trainer that we know of on the island that we can recommend, and we have one in the interior as well. But in terms of what we tell our adopters to is as soon as a dog is booked on a flight to come to Vancouver or sometimes Seattle, um, the adopter gets sent a partnership package from us. So we just have like various partnerships with veterinarians and some retail partnerships, like 25% off vessies so that your feet don't get wet while you walk your dog. And we have a few partnerships with three trainers. So we just like to give them as options to our adopter so that they do have options. They have choices, but for the most part, In the Lower Mainland, all of our adopters have just come to me, which has been really, really great. It's been a really cool opportunity to get to actually meet the dogs that come. But I would say about half of our adopters um, do contact us for post-adoption support in in the form of in-person training. And so in those cases, it's actually been very, very smooth. Some people have one session and they feel equipped and they're good to go. And, you know, you get updates saying how great they are and others book five or six sessions because they just need a little bit more hands-on support. So that's been really cool. And in those particular cases, they're, they were dogs who were quite reactive and reactivity in a way that their owners were not ready for. But kudos to those adopters because they really, really, really powered through and they've stepped up to the plate and have just kind of jumped in both feet and been like, okay, I'm here for it. I love this dog and this dog is not getting away from me and we're just going to learn how to deal with it. And so those people have been an absolute pleasure to work with in terms of seeing the progress of going from the very first session where you can't even get inside their house because the dog is so reactive or you can't get down the street without the dog almost breaking free of the leash to you know, I'll bring my own dog to the final session and we'll practice doing passbys and we'll practice doing structured socialization and, and butt sniffs and stuff. And it's it's wild to see adopters be like, I never thought that we would get here. Like if you had shown me this video of my dog walking next to another dog on our very first session, I would have told you that it was bullshit and that this was not possible. So those are the things that are really, really cool and those are really great opportunities and but i guess yes long story short the collaboration between the two of training and rescue has actually gone really really smoothly i would
0: love to be added to your vancouver island list i would love to help out i've been trying to (laughs) i've been trying to find a rescue that would be interested in working with more balanced trainers so i'm happy happy to help and happy to be added to the list
2: yay (laughs) Heck yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Sorry, Florence, you're already in there. If we have anyone else in um, Armstrong. (laughs) Yes. You can only work with me in Armstrong. I'm very, very particular about that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Stick to one trainer and one trainer only. Exactly. That is the message of this episode. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) We love it.
1: Okay, so I'd love to know about some of the cases that you maybe have that are in foster situations right now. Obviously, I'm very familiar with the one that's living with me, Willow. But I would love to hear about some of the other cases that maybe you would want to share a little bit about them. Like maybe their buyers, maybe what they're looking for. Just in case we do have any listeners that are maybe looking to adopt, and uh, yeah, it would just be I would love to hear about all of their little stories. <laughs>
2: Well, we have Willow, of course, who is with you and you'll be the best one to kind of say what she needs in terms of a forever home. But just in general, I would say that dogs that are either a bully mix or dogs who are bigger are very hard to find homes for. And it's kind of crazy, but Basically, that includes any dog that's over 30 pounds. So we're not talking 75, 80, 85 pound dogs. 30 and above typically is a, a tough sell. So we do have right now, we have five dogs posted their siblings. I've called them the pink ladies. We have Janny, Marty, Sandy, Rizzo, and oh my goodness, who's the last one? Who's the last pink lady? Frenchie. <laughs> And, uh, they are just shy of a year and they were rescued in Mexico, but they're going to be bigger dogs. Yes. Yes. The one that you're holding up right now is so cute. They also have like really adorable, like it looks like my first day of kindergarten pictures, (laughs) the cutest. They all look so, so cute. So they will likely be harder to find homes for just because they're big, but not like massive. You know, I think they're probably going to max out around 45 to 50 pounds. (laughs) Taylor's distracting me by showing me all these photos of these adorable dogs. I know, they're so cute. (laughs) This is why if I had a farm, I would take them all. I'd take all five pink ladies. So yeah, we're really hoping that we can find them homes because they are young. They're um, only about 10 months, uh, probably by the time we would get them here. um, They'll probably be about a year. Just so much life ahead of them and so much potential. So those ones are really near and dear to my heart because we've just posted them. We also have a bunch of, or a few dogs right now that are posted. They say their current location is Puebla, Mexico. Those dogs are pretty urgent in terms of us trying to get them out because there's actually an active volcano in Puebla right now. And this Shelter has 300 dogs in it and they are on evacuation notice. So, we've had two dogs from them so far come in. One is in foster and one has been adopted. So, we're just trying to get them out so that, you know, if they are told that they need to evacuate, there's less dogs to move. Also, I feel like moving 300 dogs is a pretty tough sell, like to a landlord, like, hey, can I come here with 300 dogs? And they're probably be like, ah. So, those are tricky ones. And then, one that is We're really holding out for the very perfect adopter for this one. And this probably touches on what you said earlier, Flo, of we're not going to settle for any adopter for this dog. So um, this dog's name is Koa, and she is on our website, has been posted for quite a few months now. She has a skin condition called, I'm going to see if I can pronounce it correctly. It's dermatomyositis. I believe is how you would pronounce it. And so she's very sensitive to the sunlight. Essentially, she's allergic to the sun, very sensitive skin. She has to be taken out before nine in the morning and after the sun goes down at night. As a result of this skin condition, she has lost a lot of her hair. She does very well considering her diagnosis and it's beautiful thing that this rescue has given her the care that she has and you know that she's come so far but she's a dog that's going to require a lot of medical care probably as she gets older so we're looking for that very perfect person who really wants to wants to give a dog a perfect life and you know give her the very best shot at comfort and safety. Um, But again, she's very well taken care of where she is. And for that reason, even the rescuer herself, when she sent us Koa's information for posting, she was like, we're only going to do it if it's the perfect home. We're not going to put her through stress if she's going to be rehomed. We're not going to do that. And so... So yeah, Sokoa is definitely one of those gals that needs a very special home. For a little while, we did have a few dogs on our site that were seniors. And seniors are also very difficult to rehome or to find adopters for. We had one that was about eight years old and another that was nine. We were actually featured on the Dodo for one of our dogs named Teddy. He came to Canada after years of being chained to... A rooftop patio in Mexico there's just horrible photos and videos of he's a like a poodle mix and his hair was so incredibly matted like you could barely tell that there was an animal under there like that you you, like he had so much hair that just had been unkept for for years and years and years anyway so they got him all Rescued and fixed up, and he got a smoking haircut. And then we were like, okay, let's find him a home. And again, that was one that took a really long time. And but we held out hope, and he is living his very best life. He has two parents who literally dote on him and love him. They even think he's going to become a therapy dog at an old folks' home. It's literally just absolutely the best. Yeah. So those are the ones that help get you through. And and their, you know, inspiration for going forward of, you know, knowing that being patient usually does pay off. And we we do find the perfect home. It just takes time. Oh, my God.
1: I'm like, I have all the feels from like all of those stories. I was like, oh, my God, the pink ladies and like blah, 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 blah like my heart. And like, and obviously, Taylor has to take Taylor, Taylor's taking one. That, that looks exactly like the kind of dog that Taylor wants. Like all jokes aside, that looks like the dog that Taylor wants bar none <laughs> more or less uh so there you go there's one home done for you <laughs> i think she wants Frenchie. <laughs> so there, sorted for one so there will be f- four of the remaining five uh pink ladies are up for adoption i was like oh that's so sweet and then the next dog you told us about i was like oh my god that one's really sweet and then poor koa i'm like oh my god my heart and then the dodo story like about the the poodle and was like I watch those they come up on my on
2: my like all my pages and I'm like oh my god that's so sweet it's like it's so cool seeing those stories yeah those are the ones that like suck you in and you just yeah then you're like I've been on Facebook for two hours and 46 minutes and I have tears streaming down my face because of all these beautiful stories.
1: <laughs> Dodo should definitely come with like not a lot of content warning but definitely like Precautions that you could be there for hours of just
2: adorable, sweet, heart melting content. And also, like, check your daily emotion. You know, like, are you feeling equipped to deal with this today? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 100% yes or no.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing those stories. That's really, really cool. And of course, we will be posting, we'll send links to everything. We'll like blow up our social media with our. I don't know, a few followers and do what we can to share those stories around and uh, Taylor was obviously (laughs) given a home to one of them so I mean I feel like we have done we've done done a decent amount (laughs) she's nodding seriously, the listeners can't see this but yeah, she's got her serious
0: (laughs) Taylor face on (laughs) if Kyle wouldn't kill me I would take her tomorrow but Kyle will kill me, so you know what, it's kind of worth it to be dead over a dog, so (laughs) send her Okay, I do have
1: one question because we kind of, were, when we were chatting on the phone, the story of like, oh, are you a balanced trainer? Are you a balanced trainer? That kind of came up and we're like, oh my God. And then we started talking about different methods and different things that we do that we wish there was more light on and e-collars came up. So my question is, how do you feel about e-collars? You said you were fairly new to them. What kind of advice would you give people who may be looking into e-collar training? And how do you think they could play a
2: role in, in training, rescue, life generally? I'm pretty new to it, so I'm not going to pretend to be an expert by any means. I did take two online programs just because I wanted to – it's kind of how I roll. I like to do the kind of the book smart learning first, and then I like to try it myself and then apply it before I then – teach it to clients and other dogs as well. So I did a ton of research. I know the last time I spoke with you, I was kind of hemming, and hawing between whether I wanted to go with the Dogtra 280C or the Mini Educator after having both on my kitchen counter for a week and putting both stims on myself and taking myself for a walk with both of them on and testing it out. <laughs> I decided to keep the mini educator and I'm really happy with it so far. I've just been kind of working with Kona and finding her conditioning level, which has been kind of a roller coaster because it's really interesting seeing everything in courses and stuff telling you how to do certain things. And then I'm like, they did not say that it would be this hard. You know, they say like, oh, look for an ear twitch. Well, I have a, like anxious border collie. Her ear twitches constantly. Like, I'm like, what am I, what am I looking for here? So I think it's just really important and I hope that when I do get to apply my knowledge with clients and stuff and and help them through this of just being like it's not as simple as they make it sound don't be disheartened it's it's hard and that's okay I've also bought multiple different collars to put on it because I feel like it's uncomfortable I've gone with the bungee I've got a different one here with a clip and you know it's there's so much information and it's just finding what works in terms of you know What contact points are you using? I've tried three now, you know, and just finding out what works. And I want to be able to eventually work with clients in finding what works for each specific dog. I don't think that there's a blanket statement of what's going to work for every single dog. So, But yeah, I think that there's huge benefits of e-collar training, which is why I wanted to e-collar train Kona myself. Off-leash recall is a huge thing, of course, but I think even more than that, I just want to be able to communicate with her in a language that she understands. I feel like you watch dogs interact with other dogs and they use their teeth and they are vocal and they mouth and you know dogs listen to that kind of correction and they respect that kind of correction. And I find it very frustrating that we now, it seems, live in a world where it's not okay to communicate with our dogs in a language that they understand, which is physically, right? Like we can yell at them all day or talk to them all day in beautiful sing-songy voices and give them treats and stuff, but that's not how dogs communicate, right? They communicate physically. And so I want to be able to help dogs function with the e-collar on like a conditioning level. It's not supposed to be aversive all the time. Like that's not the point at all. So I'm just really excited to see where it goes.
0: One thing that you said is finding your dog's conditioning level and how much of a struggle that was for you because of your dog's twitching ears all the time. What I like to do when I'm training is I like to find their perception level. So their perception level is where you find that ear twitch, the tail flipping. Could be them getting up, them looking behind them. It could be anything.
2: That's really good to know, actually, because what I did end up doing was I got Kona in. I let her just settle on her own. She was probably near asleep. And then I started working my way up on the collar and actually at a two, she stood up. And I was like, okay, that's us. <laughs> and I wasn't expecting it to be that low. She's very sensitive. So I guess I should have expected it. But yeah, a three is too much for her. And and a two seems just about right.
0: Yeah. So I think that that's also really important is to figure out like where your dog's perception level is. And then you have a working level, which is where they'll actually work at the stimulants that you're giving them. But when I'm first training a dog on an e-collar, let's say, for instance, their perception level is a 10, I actually dial down to a 5 and then start working them on that. So I take their perception level where they just feel it and notice it, and I dial down even more because what I find works for me and might not work for everybody else is I'm going to now apply a whole lot of pressure really soon. In certain cases, in certain scenarios. So if I'm asking for a down, I'm already a stranger that you've never met. There's one pressure right there. I'm also now applying leash pressure. That's a second pressure. Now you're also getting a third pressure, which is this e-collar that you've never felt before. So why not, you know, eliminate a little bit of that third one and make that down a little bit easier and then slowly bring up your stimulants. So they're feeling it, but not
2: necessarily working for it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think especially, again, it's going to be a case-by-case basis depending on each dog. But I know with Kona in particular, she's definitely the type that if you do too much too fast, she'll shut down. So I'm going super, super slow. I think this is now week two of, I have not gone above a two. It's not enough to make her Feel even remotely uncomfortable, Um, and we're only using it on commands that she already knows. So, place, recall, and sit, and heal. I've been incorporating it. There's kind of like a quiet field near my house, so I'll take her out and we'll work on heal with it. But again, not going anywhere above a two at this point because I want it to be a positive association. She's definitely the type of dog that, you know, I had to get a new place bed like an elevated bed for her because she was terrified of the last one because she had a bad encounter with it like she just sat on it wrong and it pinched her tail or something and boom it's gone we gotta throw it away it's done you're never gonna be okay
1: (laughs) yeah I think that's one of the common misconceptions that a lot of people have when they don't aren't familiar with e collars when they're just starting out like and you don't have maybe let's say a trainer or even a dog industry background I think it the tool sounds a lot scarier than it actually is and I think that, I mean, what it used to be is a shock collar. It definitely used to be like when we're, like Taylor mentioned the Keeler method earlier and kind of going back to that and it was very averse and and it was very, corrective and I think that people have those associations for a reason for sure but that the times are changing and that education needs to change and update people alongside that as well so I think that people are always really surprised at either how low their dog can feel it or how high their dog can feel it. And one of the main messages that I I try and bring across is that it doesn't matter if your dog feels it and doesn't care at a 50, or feels it and doesn't care at a two, that is what works for them. It doesn't mean that I'm frying your dog at a 50, like any golden retriever, for example, doesn't give a single shit, not a single shit, until it's like way up in the double digits, and even then, yeah, see, 68 on taylor's (laughs) (laughs) e-collar right now that's attached to atlas or striker atlas yeah and like atlas is a well-trained dog he listens but there's again that that genetic predisposition to be a golden retriever and like not that there's anything wrong with that but rising to that level there's nothing wrong with that either right (laughs) yeah there's atlas (laughs) what a poof he's so cute
2: (laughs) oh my god he's so adorable. I have a question for you, Taylor. So, if he's at a 68, what contact points are you using? Just the
0: regular ones that came with the educator. The only dog I have that's on different ones is Striker and Kyle brought him in at this number. So I'm assuming because everybody's outside, they're getting ready to go to a soccer game. So there's a lot more going on. Usually when he's in the house like this, he's at a 30. So like I could easily dial down to a 30 right now and it would still communicate really well with him. But basically when there's more stimulants going on, that's where he needs much higher numbers. He responds extremely well to anything 20 and above depending on what we're doing
2: so that's why I mean I was completely shocked that her working level was like a two because I think to me in my head of not being not having a ton of experience with this I was like that feels way too low to me but I also she is on the long haired the thick long hair contact point so I think the connection is way better. I'm actually so I'm just like anxiously awaiting the con or the uh comfort pad from Amazon. I'm like, please ride faster because I feel like she's uncomfortable. Like this, I think the location on her neck, the to get the contact points on her neck. She actually can't shake in the same way that she normally would be able to. So I'm gonna try the comfort pad and then go from there and just see. But to anybody's listening, there's so many options. Like there's so many options. So don't give up if You know, the first contact points that come with it don't seem to help or if your dog has like a ridiculous amount of fur like mine, there's other options.
1: Yeah, so I actually also recommend the comfort pads. I didn't get a lot of experience using them when I was originally trained on an e-collar and then, well, not trained on an e-collar, you know what I fucking mean? Well, to be fair, I was kind of trained on an e-collar to learn how an e-collar works, which is how it should be done. But <laughs> I am e-collar trained. But when I learned how to use an e-collar, I wasn't told about the different points. And it was very, the information given was very 101. And I think I, I've only figured out how I like to use the e-collar on my own over trial by trial basis and going through it and actually learning it and trying it on multiple different dogs. And that truly goes to show that it it does take experience with loads of different dogs and all of these different things and time to figure out what you like and what you don't like. So I'm actually also ordering a comfort pad for my shepherd and she has the long points right now. It's the same as yours. And it's fine, it works, but I find that when I use the comfort pad on her, I'm able to work her at a much lower stim, and it's a much more solid connection. And she doesn't have crazy long hair, like she's not fluffy. She's got thick hair, but not not really long, but I've just found every time I use one with her, I'm able to manipulate between a two and a three, for example, rather than having to deviate between a 15 and a 25. So the difference is much smaller and I'm able to create much more of a connection, which enhances our communication. Oh my God, she's the cutest ever. <laughs> Hi Kona, we have a we have a special visual guest for everybody. <laughs> she's the cutest dog ever. <laughs> So I hope you really like the comfort pad because I that's what I'm going to, and I really enjoy working it. And I find that with fluffy dogs, and with like not even like yeah, dogs like yours and doodles is the other common trend that I've had a lot, where they I'll train them on an e collar, and it's like you know you're you're finding their level, seeing where it works, and you let's say you settle at a ten, and that seems to be the very lowest they can feel it, and then they. I don't know, move their neck or they do something and a 10 makes them see Jesus for a second and they're screaming and you're like, oh my God, what the hell was that? Like, I have not changed yet. I have not done anything differently. But something about the the curly hair or something, I don't know what it is, but it is a trend that I've seen. So if anyone is doing e-collar training and having those kind of experiences, just kind of going back to what Hannah said, there is more than one option and I would definitely look into whatever works for you slash your dog.
0: And also for those out there who don't know what comfort pads are, they are the winged contact points that you can get from e-collar technologies. There's also hypoallergenic. There's also different versions of comfort pads without the wings as well. So yes, definitely a ton of different options.
1: Uh, So we've kind of touched on e-collars and the different experiences that we've had with them. And I have a more general question though for you, Hannah. What has been your experience as a balance trainer working with rescue dogs in particular?
2: So, to be honest, it's a little bit taboo and it's almost funny to show up as the balance trainer and with kind of a toolkit of different options of what we can do and seeing the relief on people's faces because I think that certain adopters are expecting, you know, you come in and all I'm going to do is throw chicken in your dog's face or, you know, hold up beef liver and hope that things change, you know. And while we definitely use positive approaches as well, and everything that we do is, you know, I kind of call it like a positive sandwich of, you know, we have structure and carry it up with, with positive reinforcement. We have a correction, we carry it up with positive reinforcement because we want it to at the same time. And I think this is where things get a little bit tricky with rescues is people think that if they use any form of a correction, boom, your relationship is toast and your dog is going to hate you or your dog is going to regress or any progress you've made is going to go backwards. And it's just not true. And I think that that's been really big for me in terms of training dogs who have just been recently adopted and showing them that like being a confident leader, being able to communicate physically with your dog actually helps the relationship. Because if your dog, I can give you one example of this dog arrived who again, he came in during that six to 12 month kind of fear period, did not have reactivity when he left Mexico. And when he landed here, Guy could not walk down the street. He could not walk down his apartment hallway. Nobody could enter their apartment building. People, old, young, male, female, dogs, anything would just put him through the roof. And it was so interesting to see that the moment that we added a correction in the form of... We started with a slip leash, just a super quick pop on a slip collar if he lunged or couldn't disconnect... That physical correction for him was enough to make him be like, oh, shit, you're right. You're in control and I'm not. When you have anxiety and you give it freedom, you have a disaster. But if you have anxiety and then there's something else that has control, it just simmers it right down. Like anxiety and structure is a beautiful combo because it just keeps the brain calm, right? Like if you just let your dog do whatever the hell they want, they can blow through doorways. They don't have to sit and wait for their food. You know, they don't have a look and a leave it command. They don't have any kind of relevancy with their owner. What part of your household structure or lack thereof is preparing you to go outside? Right? Because if you don't have a hint of structure inside your own home, and then you go outside and you're like, I don't get it. He doesn't listen to me. And you're like, well, no, duh. You know? I've just found that in this particular example, we started out with a slip leash and he did really well on that for a little while, for probably about two sessions. And then I found that he was really testing the boundaries with a slip. And I'm a big advocate for if a dog is not respecting the piece of equipment, we're not just going to power through for the sake of using the piece of equipment. So he no longer is like respecting the slip. I always start with like least aversive, but the minute you stop respecting the slip, that's not good for you either. If you're just choking yourself out on a walk, I'm not down for that. That's not good. If we're using a slip and issue really quick slip corrections, then that's great. But if you're harping against it the whole time, this is no longer a good piece of equipment. So then we switched over to A star mark plastic pinch collar, and immediately, like you almost could see the dog go from this agitated, anxious state of he didn't feel like he had direction. You put this on him, and there's literally not even any pressure on it, and he's just calm like, not years back, not submissive, not sad, just calm. And I think, especially for this dog in particular, and that's not to say that it would be the same for every single dog. But this dog was separated from his mom at a really young age. And I think this actually gave kind of a stimulation to him in terms of like what a mother dog would do on a puppy and saying, you know, nope, that's not the behavior we're doing right now. A little quick chomp on the neck of telling somebody to knock it off. And boom, he's calm. He's like, okay, I have direction. Immediately, his connection with his dad was way better. He's able to make eye contact. And that was actually the day that we went from I'm standing there with my dog 45 feet away and we would not have been able to get closer. And then we're doing a parallel walk, right? It's just like being able to communicate with your dog using tools that they understand. And to anybody listening, like a plastic pinch collar is basically like a step down from a prong collar. Similar mechanism, different sensation, I guess, in a more toned down kind of way, still no pain. I always test it out on the adopter's arm first. I'm like, put your arm out. Cause you take it out and people are like, Ooh, I'm not sure. And you're like, no, seriously, put your arm out. I'm like, I'll put it around your neck if you want, but like the arm will usually do the trick. And then, you know, you apply a little bit of leash pressure on it and they're like, Oh, that doesn't hurt at all. And you're like, no, it doesn't. It just issues a sensation that communicates with the dog in the way that they understand. So once, you know, we had the adopter on board, we put it on him and really just great results. And so it was just really, really cool to see in that way of, you know, going from somebody who I think assumed was only, this was only going to be positive training to seeing the benefits of balance training and just the appreciation that came with that was really, really cool. So I do think that there's big misconceptions about using any kind of corrective tool, on a rescue dog, a dog with an abusive past, a dog with past trauma. It just has to be done properly. And so I just highly recommend that people do it with a trusted trainer. You know, you don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to go it alone. And use the equipment in the way that it is supposed to be used. You know, these are not slap it on and you have an instant solution. That's not how this works. You have to do leash drills. You have to do directional changes. You have to show a dog how to respect leash pressure before you just stick a new piece of equipment on them right we can't put a prong collar on a dog and expect them to now know that they're not supposed to pull that's not how those work and I guess the marketing on them in itself is just bad because they say like no pull collar and it doesn't tell you why it doesn't tell you how kind of thing but for the most part I would say just in general that the experience of being a balance trainer working with rescue dogs is kind of just half of the battle is explaining why it's okay to be balanced with rescue dogs and showing them that freedom and being soft-spoken and, you know, rainbows and butterflies with your dog is actually not really setting them up for success. You have to be confident. You have to show that you're competent. You have to show that you have control in order for that anxious reactive dog to let go of the reins and be like okay my human is in charge and I think a lot of people don't understand that
1: absolutely I completely agree and I've also had clients where they come to me and they're. I always ask them what their previous training experience is and sometimes people will say oh we've done positive only you know he's a rescue and we don't want to risk it like that kind of thing. Like, oh, he's a rescue. We don't want to trigger him. We don't want to give him bad experiences. So we're positive only. I've had that response more than most responses when I meet a rescue dog. And the thing that I started telling people, and it's something that I learned at a seminar actually last year, was that dogs live in the moment. They don't hold grudges, they don't have wish lists, they don't have hopes and dreams. As much as as we try and put that on them, they don't. They don't, they live in the now. So if a dog has a reaction, And you have an emotional response to it. And let's say you're having a bad day. That always happens, right? And you are positive only or whatever it is. And your dog's on a, let's say, a regular flat collar or a martingale or a harness. And you just get so anxious and so angry with your dog. You're just like, oh, fuck. I just want to go on a walk down the street. And you're having an episode. And you get all of these pent-up emotions. And you're super angry, upset, anxious. You think you failed your dog. You think your dog's failed you. Whatever it is, there's a lot of stuff going on and you hold that all the way home and you hold it into the evening. You just had a terrible, terrible day. The dog then reads off of that, but the dog doesn't understand why you, why there are all of these emotions connected. That he cannot put that into his behavior on that specific walk. So... When you do a correction, it's not an emotional, it shouldn't be an emotional thing. It should be a, nope, we're not doing that today. Try again, wrong choice, nope. And it's not like a bad dog, like bad. And I think that's a, another misconception of balanced trainers where we're just like doing these alpha rolls and these like bad dog, like you're a terrible dog. Like I'm gonna like pop you and like I'm gonna like fry you with an e-collar and I'm gonna yank on your neck and choke you. It's like, if your trainer is doing that, that is aversive and not okay. What a correction actually should look like is a non-emotional event that you can keep it as neutral and you're just communicating with whatever tool that you're using. you know I like to use a slip leash I use I like to use a prong collar and you're just kind of doing that gentle like that tap that flick of just nope that was a wrong choice. try again. And then as soon as that's done, be over it. Yeah, good job. And then they offer you a heel or they look at you. Yeah, that was a good thing. There comes your reward. So it's kind of talking almost in that like po thing where it's like one negative, two positives, right? You do have one negative event. You then put it layer on top of that with, you know, two cookies or, you know, like a spin and then a little run back and a play and a tug and all of those things because you're over it. That's the important thing. The event happened. Your dog had a, you know, your dog was anxious or reactive. You, ha- you, know, you were like, no, I'm gonna control it. And then you were both over it. And then you're celebrating the dog again. So I think that the misconception of balance trainers is that it's all correction, it's all punishment. It's all just hating on your dog for some bizarre reason. When it's actually at least how I do it and like how I know Taylor and, and Hannah do it. It's like, it's not, it's not like that at all. And I wish that that misconception would change because it just it would help so many more people
0: out in my opinion. <laughs> I do just want to quickly segue back to what you said about putting the prong collar on your rescue dog and how they got pulled away from their mom at a young age and you put the prong collar on them and they were like, oh, instantly like this kind of recognizes, you know, a nip from the mom. Prong collars and pinch collars get their names for how they look and how you have to pinch them to put them together. They're actually originally designed by a veterinarian to distribute the pressures around the neck evenly and also to mimic what a mother dog would do to your dog. They are in no way painful, pinching, prong-like. You also want to make sure that you are always getting a Herm Springer prong collar. If you get one from the dollar or from the dollar store, well, yeah, if you're getting one from the dollar store, there's a problem. But if you're getting one from the pet store that is not Herm Springer, and it's Springer with an E, not an I, then you're looking at a potentially unwell-made prong collar. That one's going to cause damage. That one doesn't have well-rounded edges, which could potentially lead to risks. You really, really need to make sure that when you are getting gear for your dog, you are looking for high-quality stuff. Same with the e-collar. You don't want the $30 Amazon e-collar. That one works in increments of usually 10, which means that your one is a 10, your two is a 20, your three is your 30 and so on. Whereas you get the mini educator or even the dog tray, you have one to a hundred, which means that they live, they move in a linear line. They're not this big chunky blocks. So when you're looking at gear for your dog, spend the fucking money Do not cheap out on gear for your dog. Would you cheap out on a pair of shoes that you need to go on a three-day hiking event on or a like two-week backpacking trip across Europe? You're not going to look for the $5 Nikes dupe brand. You're going to look for the fucking expensive good shit that's going to give you support that you need. Do that for your dog as well.
1: Yes, exactly, Taylor. Preach. I love, yeah, we're just like, Hannah and I are just applauding on the screen here because absolutely to everything that you just said. And yeah, just don't cheap out, people. Don't cheap out on your trainers. Do your research with rescues or breeders, whatever you decide to do. Just don't cheap out on your experience or your dog's experience in any of the categories because that is where a lot of the problems come up and it's just avoidable. So yeah. Okay, well, we are rounding up our episode here. So I just wanna ask Hannah, do you have any kind of pearls of wisdom, anything that you'd maybe want to leave our listeners with that you just think if they took anything away from anything that we've talked about or even something else that you've experienced in your life as a trainer or with
2: rescue that you'd want them to know, what would that be? Oh boy, I mean, to sum it all up, I just think the biggest takeaway should be to just give balance training a shot. If your balance trainer that you have found is truly balanced, they will listen to you. They will listen to what you are comfortable with and they won't push that. So just give it give it a shot and you might see a whole new avenue of potential for your dog that you didn't think was possible.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really
2: good point to leave
1: everyone with. Just leave your options open and do your research. So of course we're going to link Hannah and West Coast Paws Rescue. All of their socials will be in our show notes that you can find below um, on whatever app you're listening to, as well as linked in all of our social media posts. So feel free to give her a follow, um, a like, have a look at some of those dogs that are up for adoption. Um, there's definitely a few. A few of them were mentioned today. There's going to be some ones that are also just up on the site. So Hannah, do you want to just plug some of your socials and maybe your website name so people know where to find you and to reach
2: out if there's any more information? I'm just. At Unleashed DT for training. And West Coast Paws Dog Rescue is at WCP Dog Rescue.
1: Amazing. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much for being on the show, Hannah. We really, really appreciate it. And it's been such a fun conversation. And I swear we could probably chat for hours. And we'd absolutely love to have you on again if you can put up with us. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for giving us your time on this Friday or on this Monday, sorry. <laughs>
0: We are the Bad Dog Moms. Kind Kind regards. regards.